0: Good morning, good day, good evening, good night, whatever time it is you're joining us again for another podcast episode of All Things First Aid. I'm your host, Jay. Looking back on my first set of uh, All Things First Aid, or previously known as First Aid Basics, um, and then looking briefly at career opportunities in healthcare, which I will pick back up again in the future, I. Like I said in the previous podcast, on this uh, second season, third season, however you want to look at it, I wanted to go back to the roots of first aid. And I may have mentioned before, I had someone reach out to me from another part of Canada and ask me about specifics, roles and training and things like that. And um, I was really unable to help this person because each province here in Canada... Um, mandates what the minimal standards are for a first aid course. And that's, you know, it's only fair. So as we were chit-chatting and emailing back and forth, I found what province this person was in, what the course was, and I did a little research. And like I said, each province does things a little bit differently. In this person's province, the first aid that they were taking is... um, higher than what I would call a standard first aid but not to the degree of a first responder advanced first aid trainer so somewhere you had some of the uh, you had all the standard first aid skills and then you had some mixed in um first responder um assessment skills so to speak but no no oxygen or suction or anything like that so that made me think about uh, updating this podcast to a more intermediate level And to use that, um, I'll be referring to both my paramedic textbook and my uh, EMR book. So the textbook that I use when I teach EMR. And again, uh, as you know, I do not disclose the agencies that I teach for, uh, just out of respect for the agencies and um, and the fact that I'm doing this as an independent instructor and someone who just wants to share the information to the public. Right. So like I said, there is no certification. This is more or less... Uh, just education, reference, things like that. And I kind of jumped in last, last time with some anatomy and medical terms, and I thought, that's good, but I want to back it up a little bit further to one thing I really didn't disclose in my first seasons of All Things First Aid, which was pathogens and infection control. So today we're going to really just kind of talk about the different types of pathogens, uh, how they get into the body, uh, I'm not going to get into the incubation period or the latent period. That is a little bit of far above uh, what most first aiders or even advanced first aiders should be aware of. That is more or less a paramedic nursing education standpoint. If you're really interested in what the patent period is for chickenpox, by all means, you can look it up online. Uh, not patent, latent period, my apologies. Um, or the incubation period for whatever. So every disease has its own. Uh, incubation period. So for this podcast, we're going to ca- talk about how infections occur and in the, the different types of pathogens that you or others may run across. So the, the two most common ones is a bacteria and a virus. Okay. By now, most of my audience should know that when someone has a virus, Antibiotics don't work. Okay, if this is news to you, then welcome aboard. If you have the common cold, there is no cure for the common cold because it is a virus, it has to run its course. There are symptom relief drugs for the common cold, you know, things to help your stuffy nose, things to help your cough and your fever, but the actual cure, no. That's why there are. Inoculations, so you won't get these uh, types of viruses. And I'm looking specifically at measles, mumps, rubella, uh, meningitis, um, influenza. A a true influenza is a virus. That's, uh, if you think uh, to the uh, 1918 flu, that was uh, an influenza that was a worldwide pandemic that killed millions of people. And even back then, there were people and all of the world that were um, really downplaying it as being something innocuous that it was just all a, uh, I don't know if they use the word hoax 120, 102 years ago, but it's pretty close to words that they were using today. You know, they were downplaying it. Uh, another virus that actually is brought about from chickenpox is shingles. So, um, if you've had the chicken pox in your lifetime, you could get the shingles when you get older. Okay? Another one is HIV, and then AIDS. And most of us are very familiar with HIV and AIDS, and, and how it, um, the basics of it. Maybe not how it works on a cellular level, but do know that it does um, have its own um, risk factors and, and, and treatment plans for now in 2021. So next to that are bacteria, and these can be treated properly if caught in a timely manner with very positive outcomes. I'm thinking of um, strep throat, TB, gonorrhea, which uh, back in my younger days we called that an STD. Uh, now it's being called an STI, uh, sexually transmitted infection. Methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus, or MRSA for short. And then there's VRE, vancomycin resistant. Enterococci. Okay. Then you have syphilis, chlamydia, legionnaires' disease, tetanus, uh, min- uh, scarlet fever, diphtheria. You have any host of bacteria that can really get in your body and cause major harm and sometimes death. So um, that's why antibiotics only work only work on on bacteria and not on viruses. Another couple of minor types that can really cause an infection would be a fungi um, if you can get a fungal infection you know, most people would think of maybe a nail infection as being a fungal infection and that that is one of them too. there are um, different strains of pneumonia that um, can be caused by a fungal infection, pneumonia or influenza, I can't, not influenza, sorry, um, one of the respiratory infections that be, can be caused by a fungal infection, and that's very difficult to treat. Um, you can have other organisms that can cause um, bone issues like rickets, ricoceta. You can have, uh, you can get worms. Even from maybe food that's not cooked properly or uh, different parts of the world where certain worms, parasitic worms, are common. To get an infection or to obtain this infection or pathogen, um, you must have a pathogen. Do you have the susceptibility, like is your immune system compromised? Is there an entry site and is there enough there to cause an infection? So, um, there are four different ways for which uh, a pathogen can be in, can enter a body. Okay. There's direct contact, so directly touching something directly, like uh, blood, and if your skin's not intact, that's direct contact. You can get indirect contact, airborne, and vector-borne. Now vector-borne is like a mosquito bite for malaria, things like that, airborne. And most of us are very familiar with that because of the COVID going on, that uh, that, uh, coughing, sneezing, things like that. Tuberculosis being another highly infectious um, airborne disease. Most of these can be mitigated with proper um, personal protective equipment and distancing, social distancing. Some of uh, the more common uh, concerns for different diseases, um, in no particular order, and I'll just ram off one more common ones, is hepatitis. And that's broken down into different subcategories, hepatitis A, B, C, and D. And actually, hepatitis E as well. Uh, a little backstory: when I started my EMS career in the late 80s, It was only hepatitis A and B, and then there was non-A and non-B, which now we know it's hepatitis C. That's how progressive medicine has gotten in the last 34 years, 33 years. Wow. So, um, These hepatitis A and B can be easily uh, vaccinated. So if you're traveling or at a high risk, uh, definitely look at getting the hepatitis A and B inoculations. In certain jobs, you have to be inoculated as well, Healthcare being one. You have to have your hepatitis A and B vaccines. Hepatitis C is a little bit harder to treat as it is... Uh, once you get it, it's usually... Um, it's there. The infection is there. You might not have um, outward signs, But the infection is there, and it can lead to liver failure and um, other health issues. And hepatitis D has to do with people who have uh, contracted hepatitis B. So there. And again, another reason to get heavier inoculations. Uh, Hepatitis E is... um, is one that's not fun. It's from ingesting water or other liquids that have fecal matter, bacterial fecal matter. And so if water is not clean, uh, sanitized, or purified, then yes, that is one of the infections that you can uh, resist, can occur. Then we have one that um, some of you may or may not be aware of, and that's multi-drug resistant um, pathogens or, or issues or however you want to look at it. MRSA, okay, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus areas. This is brought upon from different uh, languages in the fact of overuse of antibiotics, not finishing your antibiotics, uh, a, lot of, a lot of things there. And then when someone gets MRSA and they have to go to the hospital, they are kept in, uh, usually in quarantine because it can be easily transmittable. And that's why uh, the nursing staff and uh, hospital staff have to take extra precautions. And same goes for the vancomycin resistant enterococci, okay? Or VRE for short. So there you have a special resistance to the vancomycin. And, um,. And there are other groups like severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS for short. Sure. We remember that in the early two thousands. Uh, and one easy way to help preventing disease transmission is to use proper protective equipment. Make sure that it's in good working order. Um, make sure that you are donning and doffing this equipment in a proper manner, as trained by your local authorities. Uh, when we get into the CPR aspect, and I will be touching again on uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation later down the road, please, if you're hesitant about going mouth to mouth on someone, especially with COVID, compression only CPR, by all means. As long as 911 has been initiated and an AED is uh, being um, gotten for, for whatever uh, area you're in. Um, Please, just compressionally CPR. So, um, When you're taking off or putting on these gloves and masks and and different things like that, putting them on is easy because you don't have any contaminated materials in your hand at this point. Taking it off. So when you're taking off, especially gloves, if there's any risk of uh, fluid contact or fecal contact and it's been my nursing experience that we double glove and sometimes triple glove. Uh, not going to get into gory details it's not important but there have been a few times where I have triple gloved uh, because of blood or uh, other bodily fluids. So if, as one becomes contaminated and I can't keep a grip on what I'm doing because of the slipperiness I'll just take off one layer of gloves. And to do that, you want to think of the word, the rhyme dirty to dirty and clean to clean. So you take your dirty fingers, attach it to a dirty part of the glove, usually around the wrist, and you can slowly pull it out. And while you're doing that, you're folding it inside itself. So as you go under the clean glove with your clean finger, when you take both gloves off, one glove should be wound up inside the other. That way, there's very little chance for any um, accidental spillage or leakage or anything like that. Um, Depending on where you work, if there are uh, protocols in place for uh, spill management, whether it be blood or different other bodily fluids, follow your uh, guidelines for that. And when cleaning equipment, use whatever is recommended by your local policy and procedures. If you're uncertain bleach pretty much kills everything and uh, on that note bleach should only be mixed with water to dilute it. Uh, Bleach is one of those fun chemicals that it's the only thing safe that you can mix it is is water okay Um, but there are a lot of cleaning agents out there that don't contain bleach that kill the uh, the different viruses and bacteria Um, there are a lot of chemicals out there who, which are harm um, not harmful, but uh, not good for your skin. So read the label closely. If you're supposed to be wearing special gloves that aren't your normal uh, patient care or casualty care glove, so something thicker maybe, a, a cleaning glove, uh, wear whatever's uh, suggested by that uh, agency or refer to your MSD as your material safety data sheet. For safety precautions when using certain chemicals I'm thinking of one in particular um, I can't remember the name of it but its active ingredient was peroxide in a very very strong concentration of peroxide at that it would kill everything um, and I've more than once I've stopped families in the hallways taking a, a sheet of this off of a roll thinking it's a hand sanitizer and I'm like, nope, go wash your hands, get it off your hands, it will eat the skin right off of you. And um, Or I've had people uh, in, in CPR classes, it's kind of funny, who will take an alcohol wipe and instead of cleaning off the mannequin, and this is back when we did that in a classroom setting, they would use it to take their lipstick off. Right. No, alcohol wipes are not meant for wounds, it's not meant for... Uh, you to wipe on your lips, you uh, can burn, you can sting, so uh, just a few things to keep in mind. Now that we've covered that, I'm going to spend the last few moments just kind of reiterating the previous episode, which was a bit of anatomy, a little terminology just to kind of um, review for you folks like I said um, in the previous one when you're looking at someone's body you're looking at them face on whether they're face on or not that's how you're imagining it and so uh, when you go to shake hands with someone normally you shake hands your right hand to their right hand or if you were in scouts like I was a scout leader for many many years you would use your left hand to left hand and that's a story all into itself so that would be their right hand Proximal, distal, medial, lateral, those are all words that I've already discussed. Uh, Anterior, posterior, or as I mentioned, ventral versus dorsal, superior versus inferior, uh, adduction versus abduction. And just as a reminder, there are 206 bones in the adult body. And um, I already mentioned the axial versus appendicular skeleton. Um, the abdominal quadrants, you have four abdominal quadrants. And I, last time I said the belly button was the center focal point. Um, it's a little higher than that. I apologize if I confused anyone. So the four abdominal quadrants is you have starting with your right upper abdominal quadrant or, uh, RUQ, you have your, a bulk of your liver. Okay. You have part of your uh, large intestine and your gallbladder. You have your left uh, going across now. So we're gonna go transverse. Uh, Left upper abdominal quadrant is uh, another part of the liver, the stomach, another part of the large intestines, and then going down. So we're gonna go uh, inferior from this point. You have a a bulk of your small intestines and, um, and then going transverse again, Towards your right, you have uh, your uh, large and small intestines, your appendix, and uh, for some people, uh, lower part of their liver. And if you think of the backside, so that's facing front. The backside, you have your kidneys, you have your pancreas, and your spleen. So those are all part of your abdominal cavity. And the thoracic cavity Contains your heart and your lungs and uh, part of the airway. I don't feel it's necessary on this level to go into much more of the cellular uh, systems other than to say that uh, there are many pieces to microbiology. And I did mention that it wasn't one of my favorite classes to take, but I did pass it. So... um, Inside the thoracic cavity, like I said, you have your heart, your liver, your heart, your heart, and your lungs, and part of your uh, airway, your trachea. Well, protecting that are your ribs, and your ribs start uh, basically they start just below the clavicle. So, if you can touch your clavicle and you put one finger below that, that's your first rib. Okay, and then the middle, where just the notches by your trachea, that is the top part of your sternum, your mediastium. Okay? And then you have the bone, the body of the sternum. And if you lightly touch all the way down, very gently, you'll feel that the end of it is kind of a point. That's called the xiphoid process. When we uh, do CPR, we teach CPR, we we want your hand to be about an inch above that. You should be du- pushing directly in the middle of that body of the sternum. Okay? If you push too high, there's not enough give because the ribs are, are more firmly attached. If you push too low, you can break off the xiphoid process and puncture the liver. And we don't want that either. In the air airway itself, um, the chest cavity those who don't know, has a slight negative pressure compared to the outside, Uh, barometric pressure, or pressure, I should say, not barometric pressure. So when you breathe in um, and out, one of the muscles that helps you breathe is your diaphragm. If you think of your diaphragm as this big, long uh, piece of rubber that separates your chest cavity from your abdominal cavity. So when you breathe in, it actually expands out and kind of lowers down. So when you breathe out, it sucks back into your chest. It's kind of the opposite of, of how you would think it would work. So that's a good way to remember it. Um, that's why with chest, open chest injuries, it's so important to get tr- the proper treatment quickly because air is going in the wrong way to the chest cavity. Right. So, um, the heart, uh, one of my favorite topics here. It's uh, probably because it's what keeps us alive and keeps us going. It has four chambers and it has two sides. So, if you think of the septum as being the middle, and the right side does its one job and uh, it takes the old blood from the body via the veins, pumps it through the chambers to the lungs to get reoxygenated, and just as a point of uh, interest, that is the only vein sorry the only artery that moves deoxygenated blood so when it comes back from the lungs it comes via the pulmonary vein and it's the only vein that has oxygenated blood in it so when it comes back to the left side it goes through its chambers and it pumps out to the body via arteries that's why when you get blood work done and you see if you are so inclined to watch the lab techs do this. Um, it looks like it's coming under pressure but it's only because the vacutainers are or ne- have a negative pressure so that's why it looks like it's it's going in really fast because there's no no air in that tube. Right? And you'll note the co- the uh, quality of the blood is more of a burgundy hue and that's how you can really tell that it's a vein as opposed to an artery. The artery would be a brighter blood so you got the hemoglobin you got the oxygen and it's under pressure so it'd be a spurting. To make all that work your heart works off of a conduction system so it we basically work off of electrical electricity if you look at it simple we have the sinoatrial node that's in the top right corner of the right atrium and that fires down to different parts of the heart and one of the places it fires to is what's called the av node atrial ventricular node and that av just signifies that it's right at the border of the atrium ventricles and then from there it sends impulses down to the lower chambers of the heart and that's called the Purkinje fibers. So, um, the SA node fires anywhere between 60 and 100 um, a minute and the AV node is actually a backup and it can go from 40 to 60 as a backup. Uh, the Purkinje fibers can fire, and it's generally less than 30, and that's not a good sign for anyone to be in if you're only working off your Purkinje fibers. Um, There are tons of uh, really, really good uh, YouTube videos on how to read and how to understand how any kg works. If that's of interest to you, by all means, I, I... don't endorse one over the other, but if I'm looking for a refresher, I generally go to uh, nursing students uh, for their NCLEX or maybe um, medical students or residents that are studying cardiology because I find that their videos are super easy to understand. They're teaching it at a very user-friendly level. Uh, Now, the NCLEX can be a bit higher because they're getting ready for exams so whatever floats your boat okay. and then we have our blood in itself we have the red blood cells the white blood cells the platelets and the plasma okay. and they all do different things and as we get into it I will uh, as time goes on I'll get a little bit deeper into how the what they do specifically we have lymph nodes we have lymphatic system and that's part of our immune system um, so if you get sick or don't feel well the doctor checks under your uh, jaw and feels your neck, and maybe feels your armpit. Uh, they're checking for lymph node swelling. So, uh, and that can be a sign of an infection. So there you go. Then we have different uh, allergic responses to the body. So those chemicals uh, called histamine. Um, it histamine is naturally occurring, but when there's a Uh, A big release of histamine that can cause anaphylaxis. And we'll get into that as we go on. Um, We have spinal cord. We have the brain. um, We have nervous system, autonomic nervous system, central uh, central nervous system. Uh, And like I said, as as the podcasts go on, I'll get deeper and deeper. Uh, We have the spinal column itself. There are seven cervical, 12 thoracic, five lumbar. And we have sacrum and coccyx. And the sacrum are fused bones, and the coccyx are different vertebrae. And now my book I'm looking at here says four coccyx. Um, I only have three. How do you know? You may be wondering. Because I fell one time, and I mm-hmm. dislocated one of my three coccyx bones. And I saw the x-ray. And the doctor was quite impressed that I only had three. Um... So when we get into both broken bones i'll i'll tell you about the treatment for that so on the spinal column in between the spinal column we have um the intervertebral disc and that's basically the cushion the jelly however you want to look at it so when someone says they have a herniated disc they're referring to that part of their back as being a bulge okay so anything's herniated there's a bulge there's a weakness for whatever reason then we have muscles and there are over 600 muscle groups in the body some are autonomic. Some we can control, and um, and they all have their own function. We have soft uh, tissue as well that connect muscle to bone. We have ligaments and tendons, and they all serve a purpose as well. We have cartilage, and that's all um, part of the uh, structure of our body as well. We have the skin which is a big, long word I have yet to pronounce correctly, so I'm not even going to try. And with the skin, we have different layers. We have the epidermis, the dermis, subcutaneous, which is the fatty, and then we have the muscle. Depending on the size of the person and what body part you're looking at, there might not be a whole lot there. We have the endocrine system, which are different uh, glands. And um, so you have chemicals, you have... uh, hormones going on with the endocrine you have your thyroid so if you have a a thyroid issue that can be being seen as a by endocrinologist that's a doctor who specializes in those kind of issues you have your digestive system and like i said we'll get deeper into that um, as time goes on uh We have the GU system, which is the gentle urinary system. Basically, that talks about kidneys all the way down to uh, penis and um, urethra, okay? All right, and I think I'm gonna wrap it up here because um, we've done a good summary of disease transmission. We've done a great review for anatomy and I can only do so much anatomy until I get a complaint of you're doing too much anatomy. So, next podcast will be coming out shortly. I, I'm going to try to stack a few that I'm not having to give myself too much pressure every week to uh, to to work on them, as my personal professional job has taken on some new uh, roles and uh, free time is kind of limited. So I'll be stacking as many as I can. That way, as the time alludes I can just publish them. I thank you very much for listening. I uh, really appreciate it. You're more than welcome to email us. We have a Twitter account at All Things First Date or all or at Basics. I'm sorry, at Basics. It's listed on one of the previous uh, summaries. So feel free to reach out to us. Stay safe, stay well, and stay hydrated.